Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. Instructional Coaching Impact. I invited today's podcast guest when I read an article she wrote titled Seven Ways to Measure Instructional Coaching for Impact, Not Activity. Now, those words, not activity, that's what really grabbed my attention. I've always been driven by Joel and Killian's words about heavy coaching from our earliest days working in coaching. Joellen said, Coaching heavy is driven by a coach's deep commitment to improve teaching and learning. And and that's a critical lens that we have to be looking through. So joining us today is Donna Spangler. She is recently retired after 35 years in public education, most recently serving as a K-12 instructional coach department chair for the Derry Township School District in Hershey, Pennsylvania. She has also served as the past co-president of the board for Learning Forward Pennsylvania, and she ran a school induction and mentoring program. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your podcast and to speak to you and your listeners. Uh, I'm just wondering to kick us off here, what were some of the roles you had in education before becoming an instructional coach? So um, I was an instructional coach. I was department chair for coaches. I was and continue to be a virtual coach for Sydney, where I work with administration coaches and teachers around the U.S. You mentioned that I headed a school induction and mentoring program. I also was a mentor numerous times. Co-president of Learning Forward Pennsylvania, you mentioned that. Assistant principal, president of our locals, teachers union, and a public school teacher. Wow. Wow. I just have to pause to make the connection between your work with the teachers union and the, the step into ins- instructional coaching. That's a, I, I can see it as a powerful uh, connection. It was. And I'm hoping that instead of being a jack of all trades and a master of none, hopefully I was a jack of all trades and a master of some. With them. <laughs> um, so what was the, uh, what was the interest you had that, led you to writing this piece about uh, coaching's impact? So um, there's a lot of thoughts swirling around in my mind about that question. There is a real difference between impact and activity. And oftentimes when you talk to coaches about, you know, how do you know if you're being effective? Coaches will often talk about activities that they're doing. They'll point to their calendars, their activity logs, but busyness isn't necessarily productivity. And activity doesn't necessarily equate to a positive impact. When I first became a coach, one of my first concerns was this idea of impact. How was I going to know that I was any good at what I was doing? And my definition of impact is I'm talking about those positive and measurable outcomes that come from coaching interventions and strategies with educators. How much my coaching actually contributes to improved teaching practices, teacher professional growth, organizational change that's positive, and of course, the big one is enhanced student learning. 
So all educators, regardless of whatever role you are, whether you're an administrator, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a coach, we're kind of all responsible to be accountable for the success of every student, make data-informed decisions about their education, engage in continuous improvement to increase equity and excellence in education. So when I started, how am I going to know that I'm having a positive impact? That was like my burning question. And initially, we did not have um, like an onboarding coaching program or anything at my school. So what they did was they gave me a couple books, which I was grateful for, but they sent me from Pennsylvania to California for a three-day workshop with a well-known woman who does academic coaching. And my goal was, my burning question was, I wanted that answered by the end of those three days. So I sat there for the first day and it wasn't brought up. At the end of the day, we got the agenda for the next day. I didn't really see it brought up, but I thought, well, maybe it's coming on the third day. So we got to the end of the second day and they gave us the agenda for the next day. And I there's skits and role plays, but there's no answer to my question. So at the end, she asks, you know, um, do you have any questions? So I raised my hand and I said, how do you measure impact? And she goes, well, what do you mean by impact? So I explained what I meant by impact. I said, how am I going to know that I'm being effective? And she's dead silent for a minute. And she goes, well, nobody's ever asked me that question. I don't know. And I'm thinking, mm, what? So then she turned to the, to the group. There were 118 people there that at that time in that group, because it was one of the things she had mentioned up front. And she she asked, how do you guys measure your impact? How do you know that you're effective coach? And people asked a couple, answered a couple of little things. And I said, well, that's all activity. You're just telling me that, you know, well, I spent 63 hours delivering professional, you know, learning I did, you know, I said, that's not impact. How do you know? Like if somebody came to you and said, show me your impact, what do you, so there's nothing. She looked at me and she goes, we've never had that question before. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? So I circled back. Um, the topic of impact came up to me while I was writing this article um, in June because I started thinking about ESSER funds. And ESSER funds as a result of COVID have been used to fund a bunch of positions and items. One of the things that they definitely are, fun are, are funding in many cases are coaching positions. And I remember a couple of years ago, at one point, we were told as coaches that, oh, you guys are so wonderful. There are there were 11 of us in the school district. Oh, you guys are so wonderful. You know, and you're so necessary. We've pulled all of your funding, all of your salaries out of the school district budget, and we're paying for it over here on ESSER funds. And of course, ex-association <laughs> president, I'm going, um, hmm. Um, I'm a little worried about that, that we're out because what happens when the funding runs out? Oh, well, this funding's going to go on for a little while. I'm thinking, uh, everything comes to an end, good and bad. Uh, what's going to happen? And, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So this spring, our school district is building a great big new elementary building. And there was an article in the local newspaper, The Sun, about the building and what it would cost and why they're doing it and this and that. Second paragraph from the end, it's it had a small statement that said, ESSER funds will be running out next school year, not this school year, but next school year. 
2.2 million dollars of teacher salaries are being funded by esser and i'm thinking oh my gosh i'm retiring i'm safe <laughs> some of these people whose salaries are out not safe so i guarantee that our school district is not the only one that has done this funding with this so focus on impact so it's a you know, question that really needs to be answered then i mean it's from a budgetary standpoint it's a question that's yeah. going to be asked and you know accountability you know schools have limited time money resources you should be able to if somebody said to you you have 15 minutes show me that you're having a positive impact you should have some kind of data to show that not to mention data informed decision making whether you're positively affecting teacher professional growth and of course that whole continuous improvement because it's nice that you're busy but are you having any kind of positive impact at all so i've always been i've always been big on the the importance of the uh, the coach principal uh, partnership and that part of that coach principal partnership is agreement on goals um again, more than activities. After we've got the goals, then we'll go back and figure out the activities. But we've identified the goals that, that are the focus of the investment we're going, we're going to be, uh, be making and coaching. Um, how do you see that measuring of impact fitting into the development of a coach-principal partnership? So I really think that measuring impact is really important in that coach-principal partnership. It provides tangible evidence of the effectiveness of the coaching efforts. It aligns that coaching practice with the school goals and objectives. So you kind of have those joint ownership of goals and a shared understanding of what coaching entails and what the outcomes are that both the coach and principal are doing. That idea of success metrics cracks me up sometimes. We set goals, we set no success success metrics. So how are we going to know that we hit the goal? Sometimes they're very vague how they're made up. But, you know, thinking about those metrics are really important. And that could be changes in teacher practice, student achievement, classroom climate, or some kind of other indicators. Professional development alignment is really important to ensure that the coaching aligns with growth and improvement. And with that, I would also say that the voices of the teachers involved in asking for and listening to what they need is important. I kind of think of it like within the system that the teacher has the five foot view of what's going on in the system. The coach kind of has the 50 foot view. The building administrator has the 500 foot view and the upper administration has the 5,000 plus view. And it looks different at every level. And unless there is a real tight partnership there, the system, things don't make sense to people. So I think that's really, really critical. I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that uh, input from, from teachers. What are some ways that, that you looked at, at gathering that to, uh, to measure your impact? So I definitely always, every time I had an interaction with a teacher, they got a survey. And they got a survey on, you know, what was helpful to them, what was not helpful to them. What do they need? What would be most helpful for you as a next step? It kind of gave me like the next stepping stone block as to what it was we needed. 
also made sure that we were looking at some kind of data or information, whether it was qualitative or quantitative, when we met. So it wasn't just like this obtuse feeling of was it making a difference or was it not? Was I being effective? Was I not? So it was asking questions about the practice or whatever the focus was that we were working on and about me as a coach. Um, and if people got lazy and didn't fill it out, I just kept sending it. And then they eventually would fill it out. To, you know what I mean? Because people are like, you're fine, Donnie. You don't need to. No, 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 no. Uh, my goal is to get better. I do not want to be the same in March as I was in September. I need this to help me get better at this. Um, so teachers did that. Am, am I hearing in that that part of your uh, part of your work with teachers uh, was identifying goals that the teachers were working on? And then yes. the data on the teacher reaching those goals would be part of your data as a coach. Yes. Along with, I was encouraging them to also, at the same time, get student voice involved. Because again, sometimes like, just, just like we go, oh, well, the teachers need this professional development. Didn't ask them. Don't know. We just, you know, but the best answer is what I see and what I think they need and what they tell me too, so that we can have a little bit of both. Same thing in the classroom. So I would work really hard with teachers trying to get student voice and feedback from kids other than just, well, I got to see again. Well, why'd you get to see? Well, what's going on? What was helpful that I did? What was not helpful that I did? What was clear? What was not clear? What made sense? Blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing to kind of get that hand and glove going. I'm wondering uh, if you happen to have an example where you gathered input and that input led you to making a change in what you were doing in coaching. Okay, so I can think of one. So one of the things that um, a coach I was working with at the middle school, Kristen and I were doing was we were going out to PLCs and we were pulling grade level department PLCs once a month to do some PLC training each month. Um, and we were trying to create personalized professional learning around what they needed as a PLC because they've been PLCing for a while. So different groups were at different places. So we'd go in one one time and pull sixth grade science. We'd go in and pull sixth grade math um, separately because they were not all anymore at the same place. So one of the things as we were talking, we were noticing was that there was this disconnect between sixth grade ELA, seventh grade ELA, eighth grade ELA, and it was almost in all of them. And it wasn't a matter that the teachers weren't working very hard because they were. It was a vertical articulation problem that there was not a lot of time or, you know, option for them to meet together to vertically align. There's some there's some kind of this idea out there that if teachers follow their curriculum, they have standards, learning targets, et cetera, there really isn't a big need. And if you don't have regular communication and vertical work, people are prioritizing different things, partially because they themselves as educators think things are more important than others, but partially because every single year the kids in front of you are different. So there's this Frankenstein thing happening that's building and we allow very little time or we allow it as a checklist. Boom, we're done. Did it for this year. We're done vertically articulating. So 
I decided I was going to leverage video because we did not have any time. Our school was committed from the 5,000 foot admin view that every in-service basically was going to be SEL. If it wasn't SEL, you couldn't do it. But we saw a need and the teachers were saying, we see a need because we're sharing information between different grades. And they're like, mm. so we used video and I leveraged, since I'm familiar with it, the Sydney platform which is a platform that you can record and teachers can make comments back and forth, um, ask questions, share resources. So I brought this concern to upper administration at a monthly coaches meeting and they got laughed at. Why are you working on vertical articulation? They don't need that. They're following the standards and things. They're good. So I said, well, I'm doing it for the next month of professional learning. So tape each group. We did focus groups. I had, Kristen and I came up with some questions that we asked each group. They came up with questions they wanted to ask above and below to different grade levels. And we videotaped like a focus type of group interviewing, put it on the platform and then teachers can ask questions. It's time stamped at 3.03, Steve Barkley said this, Hey, Steve, how did you blah, blah, blah. You can share resources and everything else. They had two weeks to watch the video and to make comments. I did not say how many comments to make. I did not say how many interactions to make. In that 45, 40, it, most groups did 35 to 45 minutes focus group taped. We had hundreds of timestamps of comments, of questions, of sharing resources. You show me any 45 minute in service training or anything that does that when now I didn't let admin see the, 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 the information. I showed them the analytics. This is what we got sixth grade ELA and they were blown away. And I said, if there was no need, they would be like they are in, in, in service training, which does anybody have any questions at the end? Everybody gives everybody the side. eye. do not say anything or we will be here longer <laughs> and leave, you know? So I, that's that's some something that we pivoted on. That really uh, that really rings for me because I've I've worked so many places where people want to align on paper, and you can't align on paper. You you, you gotta align with the uh, with with the people. Yeah. Total different different outcome. Um, yeah. I, I'm wondering since you were uh, in the role of being chair of the the group of coaches, um, do you have some thoughts on impact data that that a system ought, ought to be looking at across all of their coaches rather than just on, on in, I should say not rather, but as well as on individual coaches? So I, I think that is really important because gathering input on practices is critical if a team or, you know, a unit wants to improve. So if you think of an athletic team, imagine if a coach only made corrections or gather, gather data on individual students and talk to individual members of the team instead of addressing the whole team. Um, it's really necessary to move a team forward that there's that connectiveness. So my big way, my big way, um, which my husband's like, oh my gosh, do you have any other? No, I don't. This is my big number one video. So coaching video reflection sessions. So I can use video, like if I'm having an individual private conversation with you, I can videotape that interaction 
and I can look at it and I can get some information back. I might share that information or with your permission, if I'm coaching with you, share that video with other coaches and kind of look at, you know, what's my questioning stance? What's, you know, how directive am I being? How facilitative am I being? Um, types of things. So video is one of the big things. Collective goal setting is another. So at the middle school, we always came up with collective goals that we were working on for coaching conversations and for professional learning so that we were kind of all rowing in the same direction. That's one. Plus, you can identify areas for improvement, share best practices. Surveys and questionnaires is another one. Anonymous surveys that you give across the district to teachers to gather feedback who've received coaching support, what's working, what's not, measure those changes. And of course, we we were lucky enough, we also had PLCs. So discuss coaching practices, their impact on student learning, what it was Kristen and I were doing monthly, or um, sometimes it was Dave and I, what we were doing monthly and how it impacted or didn't student learning or some of the main ways. So that time of bringing the district coaches together is important. It is. And it's important that if you don't have a structure to do it, so like our monthly meetings were led by an administrator, which is a great idea. And he may be an athletic coach at some point in his career, but athletic coach where you're directive and tell people an instructional coach where you need to be facilitative and dialogical, completely different animal. So he would have trouble with the idea that for coaching, my influence is I don't have positional authority. People do things for me because of my relationships with them and what I can build. He has positional authority. He can just tell. So there's often a disconnect. So I would often informally say, hey, we're going to meet and talk about this, blah, blah, blah. If you want to come and different coaches would come um, because I couldn't lead or take over that time, but I could definitely create opportunities. I've worked with some districts that look at the at the district coaches, uh, in effect, forming a PLC, yep. a, a coaches PLC. Yep. And they, yep. they they meet and function very similar to the way a, a grade level PLC would function. And that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Donna, I really uh, I really appreciate uh, your 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 insights and, and input for us. I know in your article you mentioned uh, a couple of resources that folks might uh, might turn to. You want to take a moment and share those? Sure. So the first one is there is a 27 page report from Learning Forward, the University of Florida and Public Impact that talks about how to advocate and explain how to make coaching strong. And it talks about six pillars for creating meaningful coaching roles. And it does talk about how you address whether or not you're being effective or not. So that one's free, 27 pages, well-researched. The second one is um, the book by Jim Knight, Evaluating Instructional Coaching, People, Programs, and Partnership. They have four key areas that Jim focuses on in that book. And one part of that is evaluating the effectiveness of the instructional program. So both of those are really great resources. I'll make sure to put links to uh, uh, both of those in the uh, podcast lead-in. I'm wondering if there's any uh, last words of encouragement you might want to share for 
coaches and administrators who will uh, soon be looking at putting their plans together for the next year? So I think I would have two. One is that your willingness to listen to hear and not listen to dismiss and act on the needs of your team are going to create this culture of open communication and mutual respect. And together, you can really overcome any obstacle if you value your people. I think COVID showed us that no matter how big that was. The second part is that, you know, when you're thinking about the pursuit of educational excellence, remember to take care of yourself as well. Your well-being is essential for the best version of yourself and those you lead, and you can't pour from an empty cup. Thanks, Donna. uh, Is there a way that uh, people could check back with you if they uh, have a question or want to follow up the conversation with you? Sure. Um, My personal email is Donna Spangler, one word, at Comcast.net. You could also reach me at Donna S at Sydney.com. I'm more attentive to that email because of virtual coaching. Um, And on Twitter, I'm at SpanglerDonna1, and that one is a numeral one. Okay, we'll we'll put those in the podcast lead-in as well. Thank you okay, so thank much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.